Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. I decided that we are going to conclude the year of the Bible and uh, the series, and we've been doing this for a year, and we've been looking through the scriptures and, and looking at what God's plan and purpose is and has been from the very beginning. And what we've found is that the Bible has a common theme. There's a, uh, what one writer wrote that there's a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And that is the reality and the purpose of the Bible is to point us to Jesus and to understand that scarlet thread is his blood that was shed for us so that we can be delivered from the curse of sin in our lives. Amen? That's what it's all about. That's the reason why we have the prophecy in Genesis that says that after the fall of man, that God would send someone to crush the head of the serpent, would crush Satan, meaning would crush what Satan did to mankind. He deceived humanity into sin. And there began a plan from the very beginning of God bringing us to the place that he could rescue us and would save us. And so we've, we've found that there's a purpose for Abraham. There was a purpose for Moses. There was a purpose for the law to expose inhumanity that we actually need a savior, <clears throat> that we can't actually keep the law. That there's a purpose for the tabernacle, that all of the sacrifices in the temple and the role of the priest and the, and the Ark of the Covenant and all the, even the elements in them were pointing to a greater reality. It was a shadow of the great things to come, which was the work and person of Jesus. We've walked through, we've stepped from the law and we've, we've seen and walked through the blood of Jesus and stepped into the new covenant that now we are free under the blood of Jesus, that we ourselves now are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out the purpose of the kingdom. We've seen Jesus select 12 men who were all over the place in their vocation and their personality. He selected them and he brought them close and he taught them the ways of his kingdom. He then died, he then rose, he then gave them the great commission, or he gave them the great commission and then he ascended to heaven and that's where we are today. We walked through it and we are concluding today in the book of Revelation. I'll be starting a series next week that's called The Journey to the Cross. And so we're going to walk a journey up to Easter. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have a Good Friday service as well. Going to be a powerful time. Let me encourage you. You want to be a part of that. And so, but here we are today. We are in the book of Revelation. And so we have also seen and we've understood that God has given us a purpose of the, as the people of his kingdom. That right now we are to carry out the work of the kingdom. We're to share the gospel. We're to do all things for the glory of God. We're to be on mission and on, on purpose about our faith. We're not to be silent. We're not to be hidden. We're not to, be, to keep our light hidden. That we're to be a, a, on a hill that shines brightly. And so all we do is we do it for the glory of God. But along this journey and today, there's something in our minds. There's something that we realize that one day the leader and the ruler of our church, Jesus Christ, will return a second time. He will come back. 
And I think it's appropriate that we conclude this series by looking at the return of Jesus. And so we're gonna lean into the book of Revelation to give us the imagery of that. And there's a lot of details in the book of Revelation. There's been a lot of books written about a lot of speculative things and, and books are easier to write when things aren't that clear. You can just use your imagination. But I choose to focus on what is, what is shouted in the scriptures versus what is whispered. And there's a lot of symbols in this book, a lot of signs that some are easier to connect than others. But I want to conclude this series with honoring Jesus, but I also want to conclude this series with looking to something that has not happened yet, but it's coming. The book of Revelation, as we lean into it, it's really, there's a focus on two different roles. Now there's a lot of other things going on, but mainly it's two different roles, two world systems. And the book, they're, they're represented as these two individuals. One is called the prostitute of Babylon, and then the other is called the bride of the lamb. And these two are represented in Revelation 19. And each, friends, has a destiny. Each of those roles, those a part of those roles, there is a destiny, but they could not be more radically different of the destiny of the prostitute of Babylon and the family of the lamb or the bride of the lamb. And so choosing which one you love and are committed to in this life is no small thing because it has eternal consequences. And so the scriptures point this out to us. And so leading up to Revelation and where we're gonna be today is Revelation 19. There's been judgment, there's been epic battles, there's been suffering, there's been persecution for believers. There's been a lot of different news that we've read and when you come to Revelation 19, there's a shift. Something shifts. And Revelation begins as praise given unto God. There's good news in Revelation 19. There's great news. And those who love and follow the Lamb, Jesus Christ, as, as they, they see this judgment, as they see what God has done in, in Revelation 17 and 18, from them erupts with absolute deafening praise and worship as judgment comes to Babylon, as judgment comes to the world system that is ran by the forces of demons and the demonic and Satan. As this system is judged in Revelation 9, excuse me, 17 and 18. They erupt with praise because this Babylon system is judged by Jesus. And they see that the wickedness and the sin that has marked humanity, that has marked this earth, that has harassed this world, that has decimated this world. And those who love this world, who love the Babylon, who love the, the, the things of the flesh, they are judged. And this judgment is a major disappointment for them. Now, we don't like the word judgment. We don't like to, to see some of this, but friends, this is the reality of what is to come. And so you see 
a worldly, ungodly system that is judged, like done, like over. It's like, I don't know if you've ever like flicked like flies off of the supper table. It's like thunk, it's gone, done, dealt with, no longer existing. But this world system is judged for its demonic nature, its deception, its intimidation, this, this demonic world system that has hijacked sexuality, that has hijacked what real justice is, that has hijacked the church, that has hi- hijacked childlike innocence, that has hijacked all these things that are made to be good, that's hijacked them, seduced people. This system that is full of sin and pride. And in chapter 18, evil rulers who are ruling in this Babylon world system that we have today, they are judged. They have been a puppet of Satan. They have been used to push Satan's agenda into the world through whether it's laws or, or whether it's through media or whether it's through politics or whether it's through whatever agenda that is through our school system, they are judged and done away with. And so these things that have been a puppet of Satan are now weeping over their judgment. You also find in 17 and 18, you find businessmen and businesswomen, those who are deeply involved in in a world economic system that was leveraged for the purposes of Satan that was used to fund these other things that would bring forth the deception of the prostitute of Babylon, the world system, is they are done away with, they are judged, and they are mourning their losses because now they have nothing and judgment has been made. And what we find in 17 and 18 is this evil world system is finally and totally judged. No longer will it have influence. And now we step into chapter 19. Now we step into this area where I would call it the return of the king. If you follow Lord of the Rings, yes, I ripped that off. Wrong. Actually, J.R. Tolkien ripped this off. That's, that's really what that is. But it's the return of the king. And I want us to, to conclude this today at looking at what is that day going to look like? What is that day going to feel like? What, what does it mean when there is a, a judgment that is made towards the evil? Now remember, th- this is a day that's coming where, where no longer where will there be the, the temptation and the constant messaging from this world of Babylon to seduce you, to hijack your children, to seduce your mind, to break your marriage up, to destroy your emotions, to get you to make mistakes and sin and, and fall into sexual morality. No longer, this is the day it's over. This is the day in chapter 19 when, when we would wake up in the morning and say, Lord, take my thoughts captive. I submit them to you. Like if we struggle with our thoughts, one day, this day, we're going to wake up and go, oh, wait, my thoughts are righteous. My thoughts are sanctified. I'm not, I'm not wrestling with the flesh anymore because Satan has been judged. And now we can walk in righteousness because our king has returned. It's a good day. And so let's step into Revelation 19. And this is really 
There's an expression, there's a hallelujah, there's a worship from because of the salvation of Jesus. And we'll read it today. Verse one, after this, this is after the judgment, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. You see, the judgment of God, just a side note, is not out of control. It's not reactionary. It's not based in anger. It is because he is true. Yes, he is loving. He is kind. His grace is, is long-suffering. Yes, all those are true, but he's also true and he's also just. So when he brings forth justice, it is exactly righteous and perfect because he is. It is his prerogative because he is God. And there will be a day, there will be a day that evil will be judged completely. And so his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the prostitute, the great prostitute, which is the world system, the demonic forces behind it, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, at the return of the king, they cry out, hallelujah. Come on, say that together. Hallelujah. <laughs> Great. That was awesome. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And then you have these angelic heavenly beings and it says the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God. Now look at this. This is now praise our God, all you his servants, every one of us. Praise our God, all you his servants. So this is a moment that both heaven and humanity will praise God because judgment has come to the works of darkness on the earth. Complete and total judgment by Christ. So praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. It is in this moment that there will be an eruption of worship, an eruption of praise. This is gonna be so loud, it's going to make the earth rumble. It is a praise of absolute relief and release of our worship and our adoration to Jesus who was faithful to do what he said he was gonna do and he returns and he comes and, and he judges evil, he judges Babylon and we are now totally free from its influence. It's a good day. <clears throat> and this also is the response of heaven itself. The divine leadership in heaven celebrating that God's people who were living in a world that was very difficult, living in a world that was overflowing with perversion, living in a world that the pervasiveness of sin made its way down to the core of humanity. And they are rejoicing because there will be a moment, friends. This, this, this is of the moment when it will be judged. And this is the moment. 
But it's also not just the moment. I want you to see this today. It is the response of both heaven and the saints on earth. This is how they respond to the deliverance and the salvation of their God. And so people of God, after they've been delivered, the the most natural thing to do is they rejoice and they shout, hallelujah. Now this is what is to come. We don't have any references of what this is like. But this is what is to come. And this is a response of God's people, both in heaven and on earth, both angelic and human. That from this moment, the praise to our God and the praise from all his servants who fear him and serve him, it is is the eruption of absolute praise because our King and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has returned to fully and absolutely deliver us. Now friends, listen, this should inspire us when it comes to worshiping God. When it comes to worshiping our Lord and our Savior today, as we gather in this house, as we gather as the saints who are a part of this church, this is our model. This is our model when it comes to worshiping our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That when we gather, we gather to honor him. We gather to worship him. You see the response of heaven and the saints. They are shouting, hallelujah. He has saved us. He has delivered us. He has come for us. He's made a way for us. He's been faithful to his word. Our worship of our God and our Savior should not be contingent like theirs isn't on whether or not when we gather, whether we like a song or we don't like a song. It's about what Jesus has done is why we worship The worship of this this Savior, Jesus, that we see in Revelation 19. It's not contingent if the music is too loud or the music is too soft. The gathering of the saints, the worship of God, is not to be contingent on anything except who he is and what he has done and what we are thankful for. Our worship to God, listen to me, friends, is not to be held hostage until the ransom of our preferences are paid. I'm going to say that again. Our worship to God, when we gather, friends, this this passage is when they see him for what he really is. When they understand what he has done for them. Listen, there's there's no song request in Revelation 19. You don't see the, the, the folks, the folks, the angelic being in heaven and the folks on earth being like, you know, Jesus has, has saved me, but I don't really like this hallelujah song. And so many times our worship, when we gather as the saints, 
We hold it hostage until the ransom of our preference is paid. I don't see any of that happening in Revelation 19. I don't see any discussion about what many of us discuss. Many times we, as we come to the reality of who Jesus is, we start talking among us, you know, I, could, I, I would really worship Jesus if it was this way. And so we gather in groups to talk about what we would really, how, man, I really want to worship Jesus. But I don't like it this way. Instead, we should be gathering one another and saying, come on, let's go worship Jesus. Because he's worthy, because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, because he saved you, because he delivered you, because he's working in your family, he's working in my life, he's working in our midst, he's the king of this church. And so we're going to come and we're going to worship him. And we're going to exalt him because he is worthy. This is the model, friends, of what it means to worship God when we gather. And we gather and we celebrate. One day he's going to destroy all the works of Satan. But he has, he has broken the chains of sin off my life. He is healing me. He has restored my mind. He has healed my broken heart. And we gather as the saints, as we should, because the scripture says, we must understand. We come in. Our preference is not to be met before we worship him. The reality is he is worthy to be worshiped and honored and glorified and made known. Number one, I don't care what song we're singing. We worship him. Think about the reality of us choosing to worship God in our gathering or not. Because, well, can we run that worship through me first and see if I approve? And so you have the worship of Jesus in this passage based off of who he is. Many of us worship Jesus based off of who we are. And so we, we filter our, our worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through our preferences. Really what that means that we are just, we just want our emotions to be moved so that then now we can worship Jesus because if it, it is emotion because it's about our preferences. But when we see him for really who he is, you can't help but fall to your knees and say hallelujah to the Lamb of God who was slain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's, it's how we see him. Regardless of what the atmosphere is. I don't see any discussion about the atmosphere of the, of the sky when Jesus returns. I just wish there was a little bit more uh, color. <laughs> Regardless of what the atmosphere is, whether there is fog or no fog, lights or no lights, hymns or no hymns, 
Whether we like the way we, the words are on the screen or we don't like the word, way the words are on the screen. What are we talking about? We're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so when the saints see Jesus for really who he is, when they step out of the way of themselves, what erupts out of our souls is praise and worship and honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We need to understand that our worship as we gather on this side of the second coming of Jesus is a declaration, friends, to all the powers of the devil of Babylon. It is a declaration that we, as we worship God, not because of our preferences, but, but because he is worthy, we will, we're worshiping and declaring we will not be corrupted by Babylon that our, our hearts, nor our minds, nor our bodies will, will give in to the seductions of this world, of this system. We may live in the world, but we are not of the world. But our worship of God declares that we are not of this world, that we're no longer bound to sin or Satan, and that now we wage war against the powers of darkness as his kingdom on this earth. And one day we will fully rejoice when the works of the devil are totally vanquished from the earth at his return. Our worship declares that over our life, over our families, over our city, over our church, we must make the worship of Jesus pure. Jesus said one day will come a, a, some people who will worship me in spirit and in truth. So in other words, worship is not contingent on them. It's contingent on who I am. And from their hearts, their redeemed spirits, they will erupt with worship and praise once they see me because they're going to see me truly for who I am. So is that us today? This is the hallelujah. So these first five verses is, is the hallelujah of what they're, they're looking to who Jesus is and what he's done. And they worship the God of salvation. It says the God of glory and the God of power. When we see Jesus for who he is, as believers, we can't help but worship. So these hallelujahs in verses one through five, we're looking back at the destruction of Babylon. Then starting in verse six, it starts to look forward. This one is looking forward. And this is a hallelujah for what is to come. Revelation 19, verse six, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice, let us exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
It was granted her. I love this. It was granted her. So if you are a believer of Jesus, you're part of his bride. It says it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. What I love about this, it was granted to her. She didn't earn it. In other words, Jesus got you a new wardrobe. And it showed up. You just got to put it on. It was provided for you, your purity, righteousness. It was provided for you by Jesus. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This is the reward also of your own faithfulness. And the angel, now this is an angel now speaking to the apostle John. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I, John saying, I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said this to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So here's John, an angelic, an, an angel says, write this. He's like, okay. Then he's like, oh my gosh. I fall. He goes, no, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh. We are, we're co-laborers. So what we often forget is we're living in a world where there is angelic powers and beings that we are both, we have our role. We human are to do what? It says that we hold to the testimony of Jesus. So what, what are all the angelic beings about? Holding to the testimony of Jesus. What, is, what are we supposed to do on this earth? Hold to the testimony of Jesus. Is we are working together with angelic beings to bring forth the kingdom of God to destroy the works of the darkness on this earth. We're co-laboring with God, with angels. Angel, the angel's like, no, no, John, John, uh-uh, uh-uh, get up, get up. We bow down to God, not to each other. Friends, we don't worship angels. We worship Jesus. But I, I love this. This is a, and it's for the purpose of the testimony of Jesus. So it says, so the angel says, we hold to the testimony of Jesus, period. And then, then the next thing is worship God, period. No, no, no. Don't worship me. Worship God, period. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See, there's this, there's this beautiful idea of the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is to come. In the scriptures, the image of marriage symbolizes this relationship of God and his people. You see it all throughout scripture. It's a little weird for dudes, right? To be like, uh, bride, huh, what? It feels strange, but it's, it's, it's symbolic. But it, it has the same connection. A lot of things um, it, in the kingdom of God are, are related to marriage. Related, even like even the structure of the church is related to the structure of the home. It's just how God loves marriage. And so in the Bible, marriage was a process. So when a husband and a wife were engaged or betrothed, it was legally binding. Remember the story of Mary and Joseph? They were engaged to be married. Mary says, I'm pregnant. Then it says that Joseph was planning on divorcing, divorcing her Privately. Why? Because their engagement was a legal binding action. It was, it was done. They were married. They had not yet had the wedding. 
So it was legally binding. So there was a period of time between the legal binding of husband and wife in the, in the engagement and the wedding, but the couple was still considered to be husband and wife. And so the wedding, this is beautiful, the wedding would begin in Bible times with the groom. So you had, you had the bride in her house and the groom at his house, but the wedding would begin, and I don't know how much time was in, in between there, but the wedding would begin with the groom leading an official procession to the house of the bride to get her. And then he would get her and that procession would then go back to the house of the groom for the marriage feast. This is part of the marriage ceremony. So the church of Jesus Christ is called the bride of Christ. We, we, have, been, we have been secured with Christ. We have been we have been uh, received the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the wedding ring or the engagement ring, which is the Holy Spirit, the guarantee you are saved, you belong to Jesus, just like the bride belongs to the husband and the husband belongs to the bride, they are one. So the church is the bride, we're secured, we are spoken for, we, go, we are legally bound already to Christ. That's why, that's why the scripture says that we're seated with him in heavenly places already. In other words, as the bride says, that's my house, but I just don't live there yet. Why? Because you are bound in marriage. But like the bride in, the, in this illustration, we're waiting for the procession to come and to get us and to take us to live in the house of God forever. So this is our temporary dwelling place on this earth. It's temporary. We are secured as the bride of Christ. There one day will be a procession and we will, we, we're gonna read what that procession is gonna look like. Satan's gonna be destroyed. Our savior is gonna come and take us. But in the waiting process, that we're waiting. How many are looking forward to that coming day when Jesus comes? Come on, it's gonna be a good day. But in the waiting process, the scripture says that we're to make ourselves ready. So how do we do that? Well, we make ourselves ready through being sanctified by the word and by the spirit. We do that by remaining faithful to Christ in a fallen evil, evil world. We do that by proclaiming the truth of God's word. We do that by being witnesses for Christ in this world to every tribe, every language, every tongue, every people, every nation, every neighbor, every city, every person that we, we, we are representing Jesus. We prepare ourselves by enduring hardships in the midst of suffering. We prepare ourselves also by keeping our eye and ears attuned to the coming of Jesus because he will return one day and he will return and get his bride and take his bride to the marriage supper of the lamb. It's gonna be a good day, friends. So this is where we are. This is where we're living right now. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. 
while we're getting ready for his return. When you walk through the, through the life of the scriptures, just, just looking at the life of Jesus, not looking at all the other prophetic things, just looking at the life of Jesus, Jesus has checked all these things off the list of what prophetically the Messiah, the Son of God, was going to do. He first came as God in the flesh. We see that in scripture. His baptism, at his baptism, God declared, this is the Messiah, do what he says. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He accepted his destiny as, as him representing all of humanity, as, as a suffering servant. He was crucified on the cross. He was the Passover lamb. He bore the wrath of God as the scapegoat, as, as sins would in the Old Testament, they would be placed on the scapegoat. They would leave the camp of, of, of the Israelites and they would impart the, the sins of the camp on the scapegoat. And the scapegoat would leave. He paid the penalty of our sin, provided salvation for all who would put their trust in him. Then you have his, his bodily re resurrection, which we spoke about last week, where by God declared, by raising Christ from the dead, that Christ has won victory over death, hell, and Satan, and he won it for everybody who puts their faith in Jesus. You have his ascension back to heaven, you have the outpouring of the spirit that was spoken about to the church. And now we await his second coming. Where he will establish his ultimate reign as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the second coming of Jesus has been in the hearts of believers for almost 2,000 years. But friends, I'm telling you, he's coming. We must not lose sight that he's coming to judge the living and the dead and the train. I want you to, I want to compare quickly the first and second coming of Jesus. Okay, his first coming, look at this. He rode a donkey. So this is, he came to be the suffering servant. He, he had a purpose and a role. He rode a donkey. He came as the suffering servant. He came in humility and meekness. He came to suffer the wrath of God for sinners. He was rejected by many as the Messiah. He came to seek and save the lost. He came as God and many didn't see it. At his second coming, he will ride a white horse, not a donkey. He will come as king and lord. He will come in majesty and power. He will come to establish the kingdom of God for his saints. He will be recognized by all as lord. He will come to judge and rule as king. He will come as God and all will see his splendor. This will be a global event. No one's going to miss it. And when he returns, he will return in stunning glory and power. Verse 19, 
Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with, an, with a rod of iron. He will tread on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, the return of Jesus. When you look at his names, you see he's faithful. Like, I, Jesus wants you to see him for who he is. You see he's faithful, meaning he's dependable, he's reliable, he's trustworthy. You can trust him today. He's true, meaning he's authentic, he's genuine, he will never lie. He will be a man of his word. Means you can believe him. You can trust him. You can put your whole life into his hands because he is faithful and he is true. What he asks you to do, you can trust him that it's actually good for you. What his word says, you can believe it because he is true and faithful and would never lead you astray. And then his eyes, they're like fiery flame. This is the reality that nothing is hidden from him. Nothing is hidden from him. Jesus sees the tears that you've cried, but also means Jesus sees into the depths of our souls. Here's part of it. He sees every act. He sees every thought. He sees every prideful reality. He sees every emotion. He sees every fear. He sees every doubt. He knows us exactly as we are. He knows you better than yourself. And the reality is this imagery like sends chills over your body. It thrills you and terrifies you at the same time. It also humbles you because you recognize in your struggle and your brokenness, and your addictions, and your doubts, and your sins, and your fears, and your stumblings, that he's actually coming because he loves you, and he's going to, going to absolutely and totally deliver you from the powers of darkness over your life. His grace has been sufficient to you. He has sustained you. 
He is so excited to come and get his bride and take you to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is who he is. Do you see him as that? So many times we are guilty of that Jesus is a thing. He's a part of my life. He's I think of him sometimes and I have areas of my life that are for me and some for him. But friends, when we see Jesus for who he is, nothing is withheld from us to worship him. We don't consider the song, we don't consider the atmosphere, we don't consider how we feel, we don't consider whether we like what someone's wearing or not, we don't consider any of that foolish stuff. We only consider him. And at the glimpse of him, worshipers who worship in spirit and truth erupt with worship and praise. We don't consider the person to the left and right. We don't consider what it's gonna look like. We don't consider who's gonna see it. We just consider, I love you, Jesus. My King of Kings and my Lord of Lords, I see you, I worship you, I exalt you, I humble myself before you. I lay down my life for you. I crucify my flesh because I see for who you are. And the soul that you have saved and redeemed can only respond in hallelujah. I worship you, Jesus. I exalt your name. You are the one who has saved me. Nothing is too foolish for me to do for you. I will dance, I will shout, I will sing because I see you for who you are. I exalt you for who you are. I lift my voice because of who you are. Because you are worthy. You are worthy. And I join with heaven and sing holy, holy, holy are you God. Holy is your name. Holy are you God. I worship you today. Church, let's stand and worship him. I worship you today. I exalt you today for who you are. I humble myself at your feet, God. God, I humble myself in your presence. You're the only thing that sustained me. You're the only thing that's been faithful in my life. You're the only thing that saved, that could save me. And I fix my eyes on you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Nothing else matters more than you. My pride, my dreams, my desires of my flesh, my success, my failures, nothing matters more than you. My marriage, my singleness, nothing matters more than you. 
my children, my wishes, my preferences, nothing matters more than you. My pride, nothing matters more than you. I lift my voice, God, with those of heaven and on earth. And I declare that you are You're everything I want. And in the struggle in this world system, I recognize how it has seduced areas of my life. It has made me selfish like them. It has made me withhold my worship because I'm thinking about me, not you. I repent today, God, of the acts of my flesh that I have done because I have not seen you for who you are. I repent today, God, for my greed and my stinginess and my lack of faith to sow financially into your kingdom, God. I have put me in that place. I've sown my into my kingdom. Lord, forgive us, forgive me, God. Forgive us for being independent from you. Forgive us for not loving your church the way that you love her. Forgive us, God, for making excuses for our weak worship of you. Forgive us, God, of our affairs and our drunkenness and our immorality and our perversion and our sexual brokenness. Forgive us for looking at porn. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for our emotional affairs. Forgive us for caring about the image that we carry more than looking at the image of who you are. Forgive us for living our lives for the approval of man. Friends, just take a moment and just repent to the Lord. Just give it all to Him. Just give it all to Him. you want to come to the altar and spend some time in awe of Jesus, then please do that. If you want to kneel right where you are in your seat, then you do that. But friends, there is a spirit of repentance here. time to see Jesus for who he is it's time to be honest where you have been holding back where you have been withholding from him he deserves all your worship he deserves all of your praise
May we see you for who you are, Jesus. May we see you for who you are, Jesus. Won't you move? Won't you remove the blinders from our eyes, Lord? Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come. We open our hearts to you. Come and speak to us. Speak to us. Friends, don't resist. Resist. Don't let your pride keep you from worshiping Jesus for doing what you feel like He's asking you to do right now. The Lord lifts up the humble and resists the proud. God will not be mocked. If you sow seeds of the flesh, you will reap fruit of the flesh. But if you sow of the Spirit, which is humility and submission, you will reap from the Spirit. If you're here today with your spouse and you just realize you need to repent for the things that have been in your home things that you have allowed or you just want to pray and just commit your marriage and your home to the Lord just take some time right now and do that with your spouse may you see Jesus for who he is in your home today we we choose to lift our eyes to you Lord we choose to fix our hearts on you from this moment forward Lord give us the revelation of you as we saw in, in chapter 19 where as when they saw you they erupted in worship and praise shouts of honor and glory and power and Lord that first step is just surrendering totally to you Holy Spirit have your way and do as you choose as you please we are grateful God for your word we are grateful for what you're doing and we love you God